there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Twilight Zone Companion, Mark Zickery says of the episode that we're going to be talking about tonight that it is the last of four Charles Beaumont episodes from season one but also that it's the weakest. So to put that in perspective, so far we've seen Perchance to Dream, Elegy, Long Live Walter Jameson and now A Nice Place to Visit. So when you list them like that, I would probably agree. What Mark Zickery also says is that basically it's just one long one-liner. Which, again, you can't really argue with. It is basically just a setup with a payoff at the end. And when you stack it up against, you know, for example, the episode we discussed last time, The Big Tall Wish... There's so much going on in that episode, and it's full of Rod Serling's poetic dialogue and that kind of thing. Whereas this episode, A Nice Place to Visit, is pretty straightforward. It's an A to B story. But is that such a bad thing? I think it will affect the review somewhat, as there's no real twists and turns to explore. And it's basically just a two-handed piece. What I do wonder is that when someone else writes a Twilight Zone episode that isn't Rod Serling, do they write Rod Serling's opening narration? Because, again, Rod Serling was often very poetic in his opening narrations, but this time, it, like the story, is pretty straightforward. So let's uh, let's take a listen, and uh, then we'll talk about a nice place to visit. Portrait of a man at work. The only work he's ever done. The only work he knows. His name is Henry Francis Valentine, but he calls himself Rocky, because that's the way his life has been. Rocky and perilous and uphill at a dead run all the way. He's tired now. Tired of running or wanting, of waiting for the breaks that come to others, but never to him. Never to Rocky Valentine. A scared, angry little man. He thinks it's all over now, but he's wrong. For Rocky Valentine, it's just the beginning. First broadcast on the 15th of April, 1960. Written by Charles Beaumont and directed by John Brahm. Now we've encountered John Brahm several times already and he's had a good hit rate so far with some of the best episodes that season one has got to offer. There's been Time Enough at Last, his first episode, Judgment Night, The Four of Us Are Dying, Mirror Image and now his fifth episode is A Nice Place to Visit. 
So he's got another seven Twilight Zone episodes to come in the future. I'm not quite sure he keeps up that hit rate, unfortunately, but uh, we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But in this story, we meet Rocky Valentine, and he's a small-time crook. He's doing a job on a pawnbroker's shop, and during the process, he gets shot during a shootout with the police. And when he wakes up, a rather jolly and rotund fellow, all dressed in white, with a white beard and white hair, is waiting to talk to him. He identifies himself as Pip and says he's Rocky's guide. And what follows is he takes Rocky to a luxurious apartment. He decks him out in nice clothes and basically gives him whatever he wants. And at some point, Pip tells Rocky that actually, in that alleyway, he died in that shootout. So as far as story goes, there's not really much more to say than that. Uh, Rocky resists at first, then accepts and likes the situation because he's having a great time and he has everything that he wants. Or so he thinks. What are you after, anyway? Only one thing, Mr. Valentine. Your comfort. My job is to see to it that you get what you want, whatever it may be. Yeah? In exchange for what? Nothing at all, Mr. Valentine. It's absolutely free. Don't put me on, Fatso. Nothing's free. Nothing. Anything I ever got in this lousy world, I had a drag out of it, so don't put me on. Now, initially, Charles Beaumont suggested that Rod Serling should play the part of Rocky Valentine, and he wrote him a letter, and in it he said, Dear Rod, tried to get you by phone, couldn't, so I've had an absolutely screwball idea. Your first reaction will be one of dumb astonishment, followed by rapid blinking and fantods. If, for any reason, we can't get Mickey Rooney for The Other Place, which was the original title of A Nice Place to Visit, why don't you essay the role of Rocky yourself? Dumb astonishment? Rapid blinking? Fantods? When I mentioned it to Helen, she said, Swell. Now he'll think you consider him a cheap crook type. I cuffed her lightly about the ears, explaining that if I know writers, it's a good bet old Rod has the same secret ambition I do, to wit, to act. We're all hams in our own ways, each of us planning to write himself into a part someday. Is it not so? My opinion is that it would be a lot of fun all around that if you can indeed act, you'd be keen in the role, and that the concomitant publicity would not be bad. Anyway, give me your reaction, Chuck. So obviously Rod Serling didn't take the role, but it went to an actor named Larry Blyden. Now, Blyden was a bit of a jack-of-all-trades in the entertainment world. He'd been in musicals, TV shows, movies, and later in his career, he even became a game show host. He seems to portray Rocky as kind of like a stereotypical 40s or 50s gangster movie type thug, you know, and it's quite a big performance at times. Now, in the Twilight Zone companion, Buck Houghton said of Blyden's performance, You had to do something extravagant to keep it from just lying there. If he had just gone for it and said, Gee, that's a great broad. You mean she's mine? It would have been about as interesting as yesterday's fish. But he said, oh boy, really? It might not have been the right thing to do, but it was something to do. So there is that kind of undertone 
in Buckhouten's comments that he didn't really think there was much substance to this piece either and that Blyden's performance was a good reaction to that. You know, I think that's a pretty good assessment. It is a paper-thin character. There's a slight bit of business early on where he talks about the only way he's gotten anything in this world was by dragging it out of it, which makes me think of Joe Caswell in Execution because he said similar things, but with Caswell, I kind of believed it a bit more, but with Rocky Valentine, I just get the impression that he has that sense of entitlement that is often bred through criminality. You have what I want, and I'll take it because the world hasn't already given it to me, like I think it should. And there's a bit of a payoff to this at the end that we will talk about later. So overall, I think that Blyden does a decent job with what he has, which isn't much. And he needed to be magnetic and watchable, and I think he achieves that. And we'll see him again in the Twilight Zone when he is in the episode Showdown with Rance McGrew. Now, Blyden was about 35 years old when he made this episode, and sadly he would only live for another 15 years. He died on June the 6th, 1975, which was only three weeks before his 50th birthday. He was on holiday in Morocco and was going to buy some jewellery for his family. He was in a rental car and one version of the story goes that the car went off the road and Larry was knocked unconscious. He was taken to hospital and they were unable to contact his family for three days because he didn't have any identification on him and sadly he died. Now the other story, which I'm going purely from Wikipedia on, so make of it what you will, is that on the commentary track of the 2009 DVD release of Blyden's TV production of What Makes Sammy Run from 1959, his co-star Barbara Rush says that Blyden was actually carjacked in Morocco and killed on the spot for his vehicle. Likewise, Blyden's co-star in The Apple Tree, Robert Klein, wrote in his 2005 memoir, The Amorous Busboy of Decatur Avenue, that Blyden died on vacation in North Africa under mysterious circumstances. He was alone and possibly waylaid and murdered by nomads. So there you have it. Either way, it's a, it's a sad end for a man who died too soon. So this episode is basically a two-handed piece and our other player is Sebastian Cabot who plays Mr. Pip. He was a British actor and has a couple of famous roles to his name. He was he was famous for being Mr. French in a sitcom called Family Affair, which I assume means a bit more to American listeners than it does to me. And he also voiced uh, the part of Bagheera in the 1967 adaptation of The Jungle Book and is also fondly remembered as narrator in the early animated episodes of Winnie the Pooh. So Cabot's performance in this episode, it's all about misdirection. You know, he's very passive and subservient to Valentine. He dresses in a white suit and he has a white beard and white hair, which gives the impression he's an angel. He didn't actually have a white beard and white hair and Buckhausen said, that was quite a chore. It's very hard to whiten hair. 
What they usually use is thinned zinc oxide and it looks like thinned zinc oxide. It's bad. And yet this fellow had to have white hair. It really made a big difference. And what they do to really make it white is they bleach it and it ain't very good for your hair. We really had to talk Sebastian into doing it because then he had to be white haired for three months until it grew out. That was a major task to get him to do that. So there's not much else to say other than you can't really fault his performance. I don't think it's it's what it needs to be. He uh, he is subservient to Valentine and then when the time comes he, he turns and you know for what material there was he he did a decent job one of the kind of stranger things that came from my research this time round is that sebastian cabot recorded an album of spoken word bob dylan songs now i'm sure many of you will be aware of the old william shatner performances where he does these kind of bizarre spoken word versions of songs like rocket man well this is along those lines so here is Sebastian Cabot's version of Like a Rolling Stone. Once upon a time you dressed so fine You threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? People call, say, beware doll, you're bound to fall You thought they were all kidding you used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. Now, you don't talk so loud. Now, you, you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging for your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. Now, we've gone to the finest school, all right, Miss Lonely. But you know you only used to get juiced in it. And nobody ever taught you how to live on the street, and now you gotta get used to it. You said you'd never compromise with the mystery trap. But now you realize you ain't selling any alibis as you stare into the vacuum of his eyes and ask him, do you wanna make a deal? How's it feel? How does it feel to be without a home like a complete unknown? Like a rolling stone. So there it is. I um I I don't really know what to say about that. I mean I know Shatner did it, but was this something that was common in those days? I really don't know. I mean it just baffles me how this can be a, a thing that someone would sit down and listen to. You know, Shatner's have got a kind of uh, comic quality to them now they're sort of legendary they've been on family guy and that sort of thing but you know this is just it's just kind of bizarre to me i just don't quite get it i mean i guess there's a reason why people don't do this anymore so anyway you know i don't really know what else to say about that but so there it is now the character of rocky valentine is supposed to be quite unsavoury obviously he's a he's a low rent kind of guy and CBS did ask for a lot of changes from the script things like the word broad to be replaced with doll or chick and when Rocky asks you want to come in and ball it up a little it was suggested that they replace ball for party 
in order to give the audience more clarity. Uh, the word stacked, when Rocky describes women to Pip, uh, they requested that it was changed to built like or something similar. And in the casino, when Rocky was to slap one of the girls on the thigh, uh, CBS asked for it to be removed. But in the finished film, you know, Rocky makes these movements, but he ne never actually connects. They also gave notes that the women in the episode shouldn't be dressed shouldn't be dressed in dresses that were too revealing. So there's a there was a whole list of these things. I think some of them changed, some of them didn't. Like there was a line scoring with a chick uh, that was changed by the network suggestion to being a big guy with a chick. So you know, like I've said in the past, sometimes Sailing would take these notes and make the changes. Other times he didn't. I think it was all always a bit of a balancing act, you know. Hey, Fat, how about tomorrow we look up some of my old buddies? I huh? like uh, Matt Gorman, and Fink Mitchell, Silky Armstrong, uh, huh? What's the matter? They didn't make it? No, it's not that, Mr. Valentine. It's, uh, well, it's rather difficult to explain, really. You see, all of this, it's, uh, well, it's your own private domain. It was made, uh, well, especially for you alone. Oh, well, uh, what about them? Uh, you mean uh, they're props, like in a movie? In a sense, yes, everything here is, except, of course, you and me. Oh. There isn't really much left to say about the story. Basically, what happens is... Rocky becomes tired of this life of, you know, having everything he wants, everything he needs in life. I think there is possibly a payoff to the moment earlier when Rocky is saying how he's had to drag everything he wanted out of the world. Now he has everything he's ever wanted and he still wants to go out and do a bank job. So if there is any underlying kind of message here, it's that really all that talk about having to drag what he wanted from the world was just him justifying what he did. In the end, all he is is just a bad guy. He didn't end up in heaven, but he ended up in the other place. This episode for me is one of the ones that when someone says Twilight Zone to me, it comes kind of immediately to mind. And that's because when I was a kid, it's one of the ones that I remember watching and just being blown away by. Because in those days, it was all about the twists. But, you know, the joy of the Twilight Zone is you grow up and you watch it again and you realise there's so much more going on. But in this case, there isn't actually anything else going on. It pretty much is just the twist. I don't think that makes it a bad episode per se, but it is a very lightweight episode. It's the kind of episode that when you discuss Twilight Zone with perhaps someone on a casual level, uh, this one always comes up because those discussions always tend to be about the twists. You know, you just reel off all these twist endings. I don't think it's great Twilight Zone, but I wouldn't say it's bad Twilight Zone either. It's it's simple, and if you're having a Twilight Zone marathon, then it's a bit of a palate cleanser between the weightier ones. It's kind of fun, to a degree, without being overtly comedic, because I think one of the things we'll come across, especially in Season 2, is that there is that big question, can the Twilight Zone do comedy? And I think... This is an example of a lighter Twilight Zone with a darker ending that works okay. When things get too light in the Twilight Zone, that's when things tend to go a bit off track. But in this case, it's not the best Twilight Zone's got to offer, but it's not the worst. In the big scheme of things, I'm okay with it. <laughs>
scared, angry little man who never got a break. Now he has everything he's ever wanted, and he's going to have to live with it for eternity in the Twilight Zone. Now, this would normally be the point where I say some thank yous and do some housekeeping and so on, but this time there are a couple little extras that I'm going to tack on. Before I do, I just did want to add one thing uh, after our last episode when we talked about the big tall wish. There was one omission, unfortunately, from that episode, and that is that I didn't really mention Kim Hamilton, who played Frances Temple. When you look down her filmography, there are probably too many instances of her playing things like the maid and so on like that so again it's another it's another of those things where race probably affected the kind of role she got so it was good to see her given a a really fine and dignified performance in the big tall wish sadly at the time of recording this kim hamilton passed away last month in september 2013 so My thoughts to her family and my thanks to her. So what I'd like to do now is just kind of go back to the legacy of A Nice Place to Visit. Uh, Despite it not being the best Twilight Zone, it does have a little bit of a legacy. Uh, One thing is that the band, They Might Be Giants, based a song called Hotel Hell on it. So here's a quick blast of that. Okay, well, there's that. But the main curio is an episode of a radio show called Theatre 5, and that was from March 4th, 1965, and it was called The Land of Milk and Honey. It's an adaptation of the same story. Now, it is different in some ways, but overall it's the same thing. So, this radio show is in the public domain now. So I'm going to play out with that adaptation for anyone who's interested in hearing it. And if you're lucky, if you're very lucky, you might just get another one of those fabulous spoken word Bob Dylan songs from Sebastian Cabot at the end of the podcast. I'll see you next time for Nightmare as a Child. Welcome, Mr. Babson. I'm delighted to see you, sir. Kydus, what are you doing here? I've come to serve you, sir. But you're, you're, you're dead. I shot you through the heart. Oh, don't let that disturb you, sir. I forgive you completely. Theater 5 presents Miss Greta Tyson in Land of Milk and Honey. Johnny Babson, and this is my story. When I was a kid in Hell's Kitchen, my mom always said that if I acted good and decent all my life, I'd go to the land of milk and honey when I died. That's what mom called heaven, the land of milk and honey. But one night when I was 15, I stuck up a candy store with a wooden heater and netted almost 12 bucks. This decided me on going into the heist business full time. After a stretch in reform school, I got a real heater and tried to knock off a bank, which was a big mistake. 
So when they finally sprung me, I went straight. By the time I was 40, I was netting real important sugar in a strictly legit business of my own. I had a fabulous apartment with an English-type butler called Titus. I was one bachelor that was really living until one certain night when everything busted wide apart. I just buzzed for the butler, and I had big plans spinning around in my head. Yes, Mr. Babson, what may I do for you, sir? Uh, lay out my black silk suit, will you, Titus, and uh, take the night off. I won't be needing you. Uh, thank you, sir. Will you be dining out? Yeah, but uh, later. <laughs> a whole lot later. I'm having a visitor. I understand, sir. A uh, young lady? Sure, a young lady. What do you think? I'm sorry, sir. I hope you have a pleasant evening, Mr. Babson. Just before Titus went out, I recalled that he raised one eyebrow at me in a kind of funny way. But after I showered and got dressed, I forgot about Titus and began thinking about my expected visitor. Her name was Diana, and she danced in a line at a high-class club. And I was really flipped on her. Because uh, at her club, they never hired clock stoppers with their shoulder bones sticking out. Anyway, the minute Diana got inside my front door, she had her arms draped around my neck. Oh, Johnny, this is wonderful. Aren't you glad your little kitten crept in? Oh, you know it, baby. All day I kept saying to myself, I'm going to Johnny's place tonight for the first time. I couldn't hardly believe it. Well, you better believe it, because it won't be the last. Hey, is this the mink coat you were so excited about over the phone? Oh, yes, Johnny. Isn't it sensational? <laughs> it ought to be. It set me back the price of a custom-built Rolls. Oh, it's so wonderful. I don't know how to thank you. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Now, how about a nice long drink? I'd rather have a short one if you don't mind. Okay, there's a shot glass right down there in the cabinet. I'll get a bottle. You find it? Yeah, I see it. Holy Pete, look what I found down here with the glass. Don't touch that, Diana. Just leave it there. But is it loaded? Yeah, I had a robbery last year. Don't worry, I got a permit for it. Kitten isn't worried, lover. She's just happy. Oh, that makes two of us, baby. Hold out your glass. This apartment, it's real swell. It's like living way up in heaven. Yeah, and you're my own private angel. Oh, Johnny, that's beautiful talk. Just like poetry. When you look at me with those great big eyes, it's easy to talk like that. But all of a sudden, I don't feel like talking. Me neither. Oh, lover, your arms are so strong. Just tilt your head up. Mm. <laughs> hey, what's so funny? I was just thinking about the look on his face if he called me here alone with another man. Who? Who are you talking about? My husband. What? You never told me you were married. You never asked me, lover. But you should have told me. I make it a strict rule never to do that. Do what? Romance another man's wife. But, Johnny, you love me, don't you? You, you know I do, but, but I don't want trouble. Now, you should have told me, Diana. Because, like I said, I make it a strict rule never to... There. Now forget about your rules, will you, Johnny? Just hold me tight. Well, okay. But just this once. Mm. 
Diana! By George, I knew it! My husband! Your husband? Titus? Sam, you, Mr. Babson! Now, wait. I didn't know Diana was your... Hey, put that poker Here's down. Here, Johnny. Here, take this. Use it. No, I... Use it, I said! If Diana hadn't shoved that rod in my fist, Titus would have brained me. After the big bang, his eyebrows flew up and he dropped like a, a lead weight. I saw a big red stain on the left side of his white shirt. And I knew he was dead. So that was my finish. After a lot of hocus-pocus in the courtroom, my lawyer blew the defense and the judge gave me the chair. On the night before I was due to ride the lightning, Diana came up the river to say adios. She acted real weepy, but she didn't feel any worse than me. Oh, Johnny. Johnny, are they really going to do it? Yeah, baby, they really are. Look, like, like I told you that night, I, I didn't know Titus was your... Anyway, I, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry, darling. I didn't love him. I love you. And I'll keep on loving you until we meet again somewhere. I don't think we'll meet anywhere, baby. Not with my record. I've stolen, I romanced another guy's wife, and now I committed murder. I blew it real good. So much for Mom's land of milk and honey. Land of what, Johnny? Nothing. Kiss me goodbye, kid, and go on back to town. <laughs> So that was it for me and Diana. What happened after the switch was pulled or how long it took is all a, a big blank inside my head. I only know that when my brain started working again, I found myself sitting in a fabulous apartment. And now came the payoff because the door opened and in walked Titus, my deceased butler. Welcome to eternity, Mr. Babson. Titus! Don't be alarmed, sir. What, what place is it? As I said, sir, this is eternity, where all earthly wickedness is forgiven. In this land, you'll find comfort and joy for all time to come. Yeah, but what about your wife and the bullet I gave you? Minor details, sir, minor. Don't give them another thought. You seem perplexed, Mr. Babson. Well, yeah, I am. I, I mean, this ain't exactly the place I, I expected to wake up in. Uh, no, sir, I, I suppose not. Oh, I see you're staring at my shirt. I'm frightfully sorry about this crimson stain, but it appears in every one of my shirts, even fresh ones. Will you try to get rid of it? It's kind of creepy. I'll do my best, Mr. Babson, but no amount of rubbing or scrubbing seems to obliterate it. Uh, now, sir, I, I fancy you're curious about my presence here. Uh -huh, you can say that again. Uh, well, sir, in this glorious land, you shall never be required to move a hand or stir a muscle. All the pleasures and comforts you ever dreamt of on Earth will be provided. I've been assigned to you by the Commissioner. By who? The Commissioner, the Superintendent of Eternity. You'll find him an excellent gentleman, I assure you. He has appointed me your manservant until the end of time. Yeah? Hey, that sounds great. Yes, and now, sir, if you just follow me, you'll find that your bath has been prepared for you. How did you know I wanted a bath? From now on, sir, you'll discover that your slightest wish has been anticipated. Here you are, sir. 
A fine steaming tub. Yeah. Hey, and look at those things. Uh, sir? Well, the spigots in the bathtub. One says milk and one says honey. Yes, sir. I knew that would please you. You see, we've arranged everything for you. Oh, brother, I'm really gonna dig this eternity. <laughs> Titus wasn't kidding. I had everything. I spent the next couple of weeks stretched out on a terrace eating Titus's tasty meals washed down with expensive wine. Everything was great except for one thing that Titus kept doing which drove me nuts. And one night, for the first time, I yelled at him. See, the poor guy, he looked so miserable, I thought he was going to faint. But, Mr. Babson, why are you so angry? What have I done? It's what you're always doing. Cut it out, will you? But, but I, I don't understand. What am I always doing, sir? Rubbing at that red stain on your shirt. Oh. Oh, I am so sorry, sir. I know it displeases you to look at it, so, you see, I, I'm always trying to make it disappear. Well, it don't disappear, so leave it alone. You hear me, Titus? Knock it off. Please, Mr. Babson, don't be impatient with me. My only object is to serve you and make you happy. Aren't you happy, sir? Sure, Titus, I'm happy. I, I got everything I ever wanted. I'm sorry I hollered at you. Uh, now beat it. Uh, yes, sir. Is there anything I can do for you before I leave? Anything at all? Yeah, yeah, there is. Call a plumber to change those lousy spigots in a bathroom. I want them to read hot and cold. Hot? Oh, I'm desperately sorry, sir. But that would be impossible. After all, Mr. Babson, this is the land of milk and honey. <laughs> I guess it's hard to believe that any guy could get fed up with the life I was leading. But after three or four years, I was itching for a change of pace. Titus couldn't help me. So I decided to have a talk with the commissioner. And while I was thinking about it, he was standing right there in the room, polite, friendly, like, like a nice guy. You wanted to see me, Johnny? Yeah, if uh, you can spare a minute. Oh, I can spare ages. What's up? Have you a complaint? Well, not exactly a complaint, Commissioner. I'm just getting a little bit bored, I guess. Ah, don't get me wrong. I appreciate all you've done for me, but enough is enough. Ever since I came here, I never had to do any work, and that bugs me. I can't even work if I try. I started a small business last year, but it folded on account of no customers. Everybody's got everything. Hmm. You don't need money, do you, Johnny? Money? For what? What's to buy? I got everything, including money. But, but what can I do with it? That's what I mean when I say I'm bored. I crave action, any type of action. Mm, I suppose that's true. I have it. Why not take up a hobby? I'm game. What kind of a hobby? Let me think. What about planting a vegetable garden? Does that appeal to you? Commissioner, right now, anything appeals to me. Then we'll begin right away. Come along, Johnny. Well, my boy, you're about to begin your hobby. This is the site of your vegetable garden. Yeah, and oh, brother, am I ready. Uh, uh, how do I begin? 
Well, in these bags, you'll find seeds of every variety. All you have to do is to plant them in these holes. But I wanted to dig the holes myself. Nonsense. That's backbreaking work. But I wanted to do it. I wanted to use my muscles. Fiddlesticks, Johnny, come on. Just drop the seeds in. Yeah, drop the seeds. Oh, that's the way to do it. Oh, you're a born farmer. Yeah, I... Hey, what's going on here? Growth, Johnny. Mother Nature is working her magic. Yeah, but, but the plants are already shooting up. So they are. And the vegetables, they're, they're ready to pick. Oh, but I didn't grow any. I didn't lift a finger. Of course you didn't. That's the whole idea of this land. I think it's a crummy idea. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. Perhaps another kind of hobby would have had more appeal. Uh, how about collecting stamps? There's a splendid hobby. Go back to your apartment, Johnny, and I'll see that you get a supply of stamp albums. Hey, what the... Oh, brother, wait till I get hold of that lousy commissioner. I'm right here, Johnny. What's the trouble? These stamp albums you sent up. This one and about a hundred more in a bedroom. Oh, yes. Are they the kind you wanted? No, I wanted empty ones. Every stamp that was ever printed is already pasted up in these books. What are you trying to do, drive me crazy? No, Johnny, I'm just trying to save you labor. Yeah? Well, here's what I think of this lousy stamp collection. And I'm going to the bedroom and tear all the rest of the albums. Save yourself the trouble. These albums in the bedroom have already been torn to pieces. What? Are you kidding? No, Johnny, I'm not. As I told you, I'm merely trying to relieve you of physical labor. Yeah, well, what can I do? Think of something for me to do, will you? Well, now, let me see. Oh, I have it. A splendid idea that should please you very much. Yeah, what? The companionship of one woman, Johnny. Just one woman whom you can love and cherish. How does that sound to you? Hmm, not bad. Good boy. The commissioner told me that my butler, Titus, would fix a little private supper just for two. And that night, when the candles were lit and everything was ready, Titus put on his hat and tiptoed out of the apartment. I must admit I was excited about meeting this one woman that I could love and cherish. And while I was straightening my tie in the mirror, I hear a soft, sexy voice right behind me. Hello, Johnny, darling. Huh? Turn around, lover. See who's here. Diana. Surprised? Uh, I'm really rocked. Your little kittens crept back to you, Johnny. Yeah. Well, come on over here and let me listen to you purr. That's it, Johnny. Hold. Hold me tight. Oh, baby, baby. It's been a long time. You're glad to see me, aren't you? Yeah, my own private angel. And now I know for sure this is really heaven. But I can hardly believe it. How did you get here? They sent for me, Johnny, because I was the one woman... You wanted most on earth. Yeah, very smart, these people. But don't talk, baby. Just tilt your mouth up. Yeah, this is it. Diana, I knew it. My husband. Get out of here, Titus. No, not this time, by George. Hey, don't. Put that down. He'll kill you, Johnny. Here, take this. Use it. Diana, no. Use it, I said. 
I staggered over to the sofa, mumbling out loud. How could I have been crazy enough to do such a terrible thing a second time? And in a place like this, how could they ever forgive me? And while I was mumbling, I felt somebody sit down beside me. And I looked around and saw it was the commissioner. Titus's body was gone and the commissioner was grinning at me. Don't feel bad, Johnny. There's nothing to forgive. But I shot Titus. He's dead. What difference does that make? But I killed him twice. How can I live here with that on my conscience? Oh, conscience, Johnny. In this land, there's no such thing as conscience. So brace up and let's have a drink and forget it. Hey, out there, bring in the drinks. Yes, sir, here they are. Titus? Oh, no, it can't be you. But it is, Mr. Babson. I'm frightfully sorry about this crimson stain on the opposite side of my shirt, sir. Never mind that. I, I, I killed you again. Good gracious, sir. Don't be disturbed about that. I forgive you. And since you've always desired my wife, she's yours to keep. Take Diana with my blessings and my best wishes. Oh, Johnny, isn't it wonderful? Now we'll be together forever. No, I, I don't want you. You're the cause of all my troubles. You're an evil woman. But Johnny, darling. Get her out, Commissioner. Take her away. Johnny, my boy, get hold of yourself. Don't you realize that now you have everything you ever wanted? No, I've had it. I can't go on. Till the end of time, every single minute in this place is torture. But, Johnny! Ah, shut up. I hate this place. You hear me? If you think this is my idea of heaven, you're crazy. Johnny, what do you mean? Guess what I said. I wish I'd been sent to hell. You wish you'd been sent to... Oh. <laughs> oh, but my dear fellow, where do you think you are? Five has presented Land of Milk and Honey, written by Albert Miller, produced and directed by Ted Bell. In the cast, Greta Tyson, Danny Ocko, Ivor Francis, and George Lloyd. Audio engineers, Marty Folia and Neil Pulse. Sound technician, Ed Blaney. Script editor, Jack C. Wilson. Original music by Alexander Vlastatsenko. Orchestra under the direction of Glenn Osser. Executive producer for Theater 5, Mr. Lee Bowman. We invite your comments. Write to Theater 5, New York 23, New York. That's Theater 5, New York 23, New York. This is Fred Foy speaking. This has been an ABC Radio Network production. Go away from my window. Leave at your own chosen speed. I'm not the one you want, babe. I ain't the one you need. 
You say you're looking for someone never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you whether you're right or wrong. Someone to open each and every door. Uh, it ain't me, babe. Uh, no, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go lightly from the ledge, babe. Go lightly on the ground. I'm not the one you want, babe. I don't let you down. You say you're looking for someone who promised never to part, someone to close his eyes for you, someone to close his heart, someone who will die for you and more. Ooh, it ain't me, babe. No, no, no. It ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go melt back into the night, babe. Everything inside is made of stone. There's nothing in here moving. Anyway, I'm not alone. You say you're looking for someone who will pick you up each time you fall, to gather flowers constantly and to come each time you call a lover for your life and nothing more. Hey, ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. <laughs> <laughs> 